Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16 in a Bible study that I've entitled, It's Best to Patiently Wait for God. Let that sink in. The best choice is to patiently wait for God. If there's one lesson you're going to learn in this chapter is God does not need your help to fulfill his promises. It's best to wait on him for the perfect timing of his perfect promise. And as we jump into a new chapter following the life of Abram, we know that he is known as the father of faith. He's the one that God says, I want you to look to him as a model. I want you to see what faith looks like in a human being. But he's not a perfect example. And I think that bothers people. And when you're reading through the scriptures, you see time and time again, God using imperfect people, people that have failed greatly. And that bothers people, especially with our Western mind, especially with our, the Western church and, and even our culture today. There's not, the church at large, really not a theology of failure. There's really not a real understanding of failure, starting with our own sin, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but also just our day-by-day failures. A lot of times you'll even write yourself off because of your own failures, or you'll write someone else off because of their struggles and their failures. But God uses failure. He's able to redeem and restore. He's able to take the repentant, He's able to take even the worst days of your life and make them the best turning points of your life if you'll look to him. Now, it's going to be hard for God to use you in your failure if you run away from him. But as we find Abram, his faith always brought him back to God. I know sometimes there's not a a strong theology of failure because if you talk about failure all the time, there are those pastors or preachers or teachers that that think, well, if I talk about failures all the time, then maybe it'll just give the church permission to sin. You know, if it's okay to fail, then I guess I can just go ahead and do... No, 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 you completely misunderstand the wages of sin. The wages of sin is always death. So God revealing the humanity of men and women in the scriptures is not his permission to sin. It's a warning. It's a warning to go to be careful because God is going to accomplish his will, but he, he, he's going to do it in such a way where whether you fail and pay a high price for that, God is still going to accomplish his will. Or if you look to him, God is going to use you. But we all fail all the time. Mostly small, sometimes really big, and it stinks every time. I hate sinning. I hate the consequences of sin in my life. Not just the people I see in my office or talk to on the radio or people I interact with in our church family. I hate the consequences of sin in your life too, but I I hate it in my life. It could even lead me to regret and condemnation. And it's just like, man, I wish I knew, why why did I do it that way? 
Why didn't I go this way? But I'm grateful. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what does he say in the New King James? Certainly not. We don't want to go the way of sin. We want to repent. He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So as you follow the life of Abram, we need to acknowledge that this man of faith, this great man of faith has failed. But don't focus on his failures. Look to how he recovered and how he turned back to the Lord and God blessed him. Now, chapter 16 is a sad chapter in many, many ways. Abram makes a big mistake. He has a serious case of bad judgment. Not only that, but he decides that he doesn't want to lead his home spiritually, which leads Sarai to take up the slack. And yet I think it's a part of the development of every believer, the ups and downs of our relationship with God. What we're learning, how it is to relate to God. I want you to think of that phrase, how to relate to God. Because we often refer to that as our relationship with God. But another angle of that is how do you relate to a God who loves you? How do you relate to a God who loves you so much that he sacrifices on your behalf? How do you relate to a God who gives his best for you? How do you relate to God? How do you develop in your relationship with God? How do you grow? How do you grow? How you respond to failure is very important. But notice in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Let's pause there for a second. Abram's about 86 years old here, and 10 years has passed since he received the promise of God. The promise of a child has not yet come to pass. And both Abram and Sarai see this and live with it daily, and it's hard. Now, of the many definitions of the name Sarai, one of them is princess, but another one of them is the head or contentious. And here in this story between Sarai and Abram, we, we see Sarai taking a leadership in the home. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 in verse 16 for a moment, and let's remind ourselves of part of the curse. In Genesis chapter 3 in verse 16, part of the curse is described here in verse 16. It says, to the woman he said... I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. And notice, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, when we were studying that passage, we learned that the phraseology of the Hebrew language there really speaks of that desire being a desire to rule over. That there will be tension and contention in the marriage and in the home between men and women in that relationship. And Sarai, her nature is to rule over and to take things into her own hands. And we don't know exactly why. Abram didn't do anything. She's lapsing faith. We'll look at a few options in our study. But notice in verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children, so go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, 
and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, Hagar is with Abram and Sarai, and we just have to ask a question real quick. Where did she come from? This Egyptian maidservant. Well, you know where she came from. She came through the time of Abram's disobedience. When the famine hit and he ran to Egypt for cover and had his mistakes there, he leaves Egypt with Hagar. And during that time of disobedience, now, as a result of that sinful decision, I want you to notice another sinful decision is born. Would they have ever been able to think and think ahead? Would they have ever been able to tell that the decision to go to Egypt, that act of compromise, running, remember Egypt becomes a type of the world, you running to the world for help, running to the world for comfort, running to the world for sustenance, whatever it may be, instead of turning to God, could you have ever thought Could you have ever planned that that would have led to all the stuff that happened there, the rebuke of Pharaoh, they would then leave with Hagar, and then Hagar would be a part of another future sin 10 years later. The reason I draw that out is we don't know what they were thinking. We weren't in their minds. But it's important for you to realize that compromise today will cost you later. You can't be messing around with sin. We can't be messing around with sin thinking that the wages of sin is not death, thinking that if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. I don't know how future sinful decisions today will affect you, but they will. Compromise always begets more compromise. Sin always begets more sin. And here we are because of the first sin, 10 years later, here comes another. Now with Sarai here, This is a familiar place where Bible teachers and pastors will make a convenient joke here and say, what are you thinking, Abraham? Why are you saying yes? And Sarai, what are you thinking? And of course, why wouldn't you? It becomes a place where jokes are made and you're looking at it and go, I would never do that. But I want to stop back. I don't want to make any jokes on this today, but rather I want you to consider a different angle with Sarai that maybe you never considered that we just read over it very, very quickly. It says in verse one, the very first sentence, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can write next to that, she was barren. She was barren. Maybe in an emotional state, Sarai is blaming herself for not being able to conceive. Now, just paint the picture for a second. This grand, glorious promise of God to Abram. God has spoken to Abram, not Sarai. He's called Abram out, and Sarai comes with him. And so it's a speaking to to Abram, but it's a family call. It it is a, a call of God upon the family, upon Abram and Sarai, and all that followed. It is a call of God to both of them as a married couple. And the promise was that he's going to be a father of many nations, but as years have passed now, she's barren. Maybe she's considering the weight of barrenness and the condemnation of not being able to conceive. Maybe she's blaming herself 
for the promises of God not being fulfilled. Like it's all her fault that if she would just get along with the program or if something, it's all her fault. And it's not her fault. Maybe she has the weight of blame and guilt for not being able to fulfill the promise of God. On top of that, she lived in a society that looked down on women who were unable to conceive. And in my pastoral ministry over the years, I've learned how difficult it is for a woman to be in the place of not being able to conceive but wanting to. There's a lot of emotion going on here. This is not just the simple head of the you know, Sarai taking the head, although it may be, jumping in when Abram said, let's wait, and she goes, no, let's not wait, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of maybes in here. We're not given the full story, but when we're reading the Bible, we're reading the Bible about human beings. These aren't robots here, perfect men and women that just know exactly what to do, how to do it. They're living lives just like you are, in the moment, dealing with things. They're, they're wondering, maybe it's my fault. Maybe we can help God out. Now, I know we're going to learn today, God doesn't need our help, but I know we feel like that sometimes. I don't want to wait anymore. Waiting doesn't seem like it's doing anything. The Bible promises those who wait on the Lord will, shall renew their strength, but in my waiting, it seems like I get weaker and weaker. And it's in times of impatience that we can jump in and try to help God out. But maybe there is that sense of guilt and condemnation, but the Bible is clear that's not from the Lord. If the enemy of our souls can get us overcome by our emotions, then we will make mistakes on many different levels in our lives. <laughs> so Sarah comes up with this idea, and she sees this in verse 2. She says, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children, so go into my maid. This is a veiled statement of exactly what we find in the garden after the fall, blaming God. I'm barren, but it's God that's done it. So because God's restrained us, and he's all, we're going to take care of it ourselves. And it is a motivation for them. Maybe they can help God out. Maybe God has forgotten about us. I look back into my life in patience and just my personality, how God has made me, how often I've tried to help God out. I could write a book, I think, of how many times I've jumped in impatient trying to help God out. How often we've come to a place where impatience has overtaken us and we want to, you know, I know the situation the way it is. And I mean, one particular situation, I won't share the details with you, Maybe you have your own particular situation. But had I gone through with what was on my mind, had I gone through of what I desired, it would have been disastrous. It would have been absolutely disastrous. And if it hadn't been for a gathering we had on a Sunday night at one of our afterglows and the Holy Spirit speaking through that moment, I very well would have jumped in. I very will, very, I, I think in the condition that I was in and the emotions that were overtaking me, I think I would have carried through uh, and it wouldn't have been pretty. And I mean, that's from a guy that's, de I've dedicated my life to serving God. I mean, I've given everything I have to the Lord, but through a series of events and a long time of waiting and, and just one day, just like, and no more. I, I had even just finished teaching the Bible that weekend 
And I was so quickly in the flesh within just a couple seconds after saying amen. I mean, the Holy Spirit said, hey, I'm going to use you to teach. And then, and then it's like, man, I'm right back in the flesh. Just like, Lord. But you know, he's so gracious. He doesn't want you to go that way. He doesn't want you to fulfill some fleshly plan that you have in place, some, something where you're going to take things into your own hands. You know, I think this is, why don't you? And it's not from the Lord. He's not leading of the Lord. You know, they, they asked a group of born-again Christians a few years ago about their viewpoints on the Bible. And over 25% of those that said they were born again believed that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, was in the Bible. Maybe you believe that. I'm going to correct it for you right now. Ben Franklin said that, not God. The truth is that God, he helps the helpless. That God, he helps the weak and the needy. Our response is to trust and obey, for there is no other way. You walk in the wisdom of God. Jesus taught it this way in Matthew 9, 13. He said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God is attracted to weakness. He's attracted to brokenness. There's a Bible word. He's attracted to contriteness, to humility, to failure. Sarai's solution and suggestion was not wise. But again, Perhaps there's a lot of emotion involved here. It could very well be that she's thinking that she's letting Abraham down. That she's letting her family down, her tribe down. That she's letting her culture down, even letting God down. And I think it's important that we empathize with her. So she comes up out of this grief and pain and says, you know, Abraham, Abram, I know, honey, I know what we need to do. There, there is a cultural norm that we can use to help God out. It was not unusual for culturally for a wife to give her handmaid to her husband and even allow him to have another wife. It, it was what we would say today, you know, if the way of the world you know, the world has a way of doing things, and so Christians have a good way of just, just putting spirit, sprinkling spiritual language over very sinful things in the world and saying, oh, of course, it's, from, it's okay, I made a way, and reasoning and excuses and, and justifications, and, and they're all in this because they're in the moment. And, and it's, 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 really, it's really deceptive because I think that their motive is not just to help God out, but their motive is to see God's will completed. They want to be a part of the promise. They, they want to see it happen. I don't think the motives are all that bad. But you know, you can have very good motives and make very bad decisions if you're not led by the Lord. You can have very good motives, but make very bad decisions if you're not led by the Lord. And Abram's decision was equally unwise. This was his time. This was his moment. Don't blame Sarai. God has established Abram as the head of the home. And he, this was his moment. This was his moment. It could have even been a moment of redemption of the failure he had in telling her to lie to Pharaoh. 
and all of the failures as a husband before, God had set, the situation is set up, even though it was culturally acceptable, even though we might have the right motives to fulfill God's plan. This was, this was his time to minister to his wife, to encourage her. It's okay, honey. We're going to get through this together. God's promises stand still. We don't need to do anything. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Let's continue to wait. If we made it 10 years, we can make it another 10 years. That's not what he does. And not only that, but notice, as you read through the text, he knows what it's like to go back to Bethel. He knows what it's like to build an altar under the Lord. Abram knows what it's like to call upon the name of the Lord. But he doesn't do it here. Not together and not individually. You know, I think of so many of the marriage issues that are among us even right now. If you guys would just stop arguing and start praying together, the Holy Spirit would act very quickly. Just set aside all your arguments, set aside all your disagreements, and just make a commitment to pray together. And I already hear the answers already. I've already heard them. Yeah, but she won't. Okay, then you pray. But he won't. Okay, you pray. And just seek the Lord. Press in. I mean, do you really think all the arguing is going to get you where you want to be? But when, you bro- when you're broken before the Lord and you're desperate for his presence, Abram could have been in a strong place here in this moment. But he doesn't seek God's counsel. And, you know, Abram knew what it was like to hear from God. And he knew what it was like to speak with God. He knew what it was like to lay it all on the line for God. He spoke with God. We just learned about in our last study he just uh, how he, he received the covenant <laughs> and then was put to sleep to be taken care of. And God is going to fulfill his word. But how quickly that fades into the background. We have to seek God's counsel today, church. You want to know why? Because ungodly counsel can come from so many different sources, even from those that are close to you. I mean, you're just taking in, you're taking in, you're taking in, you're taking in. Before you know it, the world has convinced you that what the world believes is better than what God teaches. And you exchange the truth for a lie. And the deception for believers is you call the lie the truth. And then you fight for the lie. <laughs> and it's disastrous. It's just absolutely disastrous. Let me show you what I, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. You've got to hear from the Lord, church. You've got to have a scripture to base your decision on that you can hold on to. Let God lead you. You're going to get a lot of advice. Everybody has an opinion for your life. Have you noticed that? And you might even want everyone's opinion. But you've got to hear from the Lord. You've got to get down in the word and in prayer and don't make a decision until you hear from God. Because even those that are very close to you can give you bad advice. Deuteronomy 13, verse 6. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, mark those three words, how in the world would you know I mean, he's going to give an example right now, but there are other ways of your parents, your brother, your best friends secretly enticing you. You've got to hear from the Lord. Have I said that enough? 
Say it with me. I have to hear from the Lord. Say it right now. I, okay, from your own lips. Because there are those that would like to secretly entice you, especially when you're in a vulnerable state. Now, of course, in this one, they're gonna, this one you gotta look out for. Let's go serve other gods, which we have not known, neither you or your fathers. Okay, okay, if you ask me to go seek other gods, you are in secretly enticing me. Okay, I don't, but there are other ways to be secretly enticed. Evil company, so the Bible says, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You need to hear from the Lord. We have counsel and wisdom of God today. It's found in his word. And how often we make mistakes before because we fail to seek God in his word. Listen, Psalm 119, verse 24. Your testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. Do you know there's only one counselor? Not your pastor, not your friend, not your mom, not your dad, not the person that's discipling you. The Holy Spirit is your counselor through the word of God. And you will know when you have good counsel when it lines up with the word of God. And you know when you have bad counsel when somebody's just spouting all their opinions and their preferences and, and saying it's the word of God. Let, them, let, let your life be built upon the word. Psalm 119 verse 104. Through your precepts I get understanding Therefore, I hate every false way. So the word of God is used by God to counsel you and to give you and me understanding. Verse five, back in Genesis now. Verse five, then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace and she saw that she had conceived and I became despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between you and me. Can you just pause for a second? I want you to understand just how painful this must have been for Sarai. Not only in the mistake of the counsel, not only in the mistake of this advice. That's bad enough. But I'm sure it was extremely painful for her after waiting all those years to conceive that Hagar got pregnant immediately. And it's a knife to the heart on top of the distance they already have in their marriage and all the things that are going on in their life. And she's upset. She's mad. And so she reverts to a very familiar tool that we use, and that's blaming. That blame is the natural result of our fallen nature. It is something we all have to one degree or another. And already weak in his home, notice what Abram says in verse 6. So again, another opportunity, another opportunity wasted. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. And Sarai is upset with Hagar and kicks her out. Now, maybe Abram's dealing with something himself. Maybe Abram's dealing with, with shame. Maybe he's ashamed from his sinful mistakes in his relationship. Ashamed by not being the leader in his home. And shame is a heavy burden to carry. But listen, all your guilt and shame has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, church. You can run to the Lord and under the shadow of the cross and the power of the blood of Christ, he can remove the guilt and shame from your life and from your mind. 
Because in a very real way, there's nothing we can do to change the past. But in the moment, we can change today. In the moment, right now. And I believe Abram was ashamed. Because sin will do that to you. It will make you cower in shame. And then shame will make you do all kinds of bad things. He was ashamed of his decision. Decided to retreat from his role as, in the home as the spiritual leader. And men... Our homes need spiritual leaders. God has ordained you in the home men to be the spiritual leader. He has provided that role through the role of the husband and the dad. You are the primary leader of your home. Listen, I know that this Bible study goes out in many different ways and there are many different homes. There are single moms here and you are fulfilling the role of the spiritual leader that God never really intended for you to fulfill. Some of you are married in your home and your husband refuses to step up and obey God and submit himself to him. He's kind of afraid that, well, maybe you'll be wrong or maybe his personality is timid or something along those lines and he just refuses to obey. And so you've got to take up the mantle. But I'm telling you, no matter what your personality is, no matter what your background is, no matter what you need to learn, God will enable you men to be the loving, caring, strong spiritual leaders that he intended you to be. And you got to step up and cooperate with God. Your kids, man, they're kids. You're, we minister to your kids here. We minister to your kids and they need you. So much going on in the world. And God has given you the wisdom and the strength. I know how intimidating it is. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a husband and a dad and and I know when I was born again, I didn't know how to be a man. I mean, think it's just so shameful to think about it. Now, as I think back, I didn't know how to be a man. I didn't know how to be a son. I didn't know how to be a husband, a dad. You name every single role in life, and I did it wrong. Every single one of them. And yet, through the wisdom and the strength and the presence of God, he is teaching me continually how to be a better in every single role. And I'm still growing still wanting to grow in my relationship with the Lord, still wanting to learn. And I have learned the value of spiritual leadership in the home. You know, I can't stand before you with any kind of credibility or even with any approval of God if my home is not in order. Not perfect. I don't have a perfect home. But I do have a home that loves God. And I do have a home where we truly want to do what's right. And if you'll just bring that to the Lord today, he will honor that. Even you young men that are single, now is the time to step up and lead. You know, you, be, you are the spiritual head of your home and you're like, well, wait a minute, I live in someone else's home. No, you're the spiritual, the way you practice to be the spiritual head of your future home is to be the spiritual head of your own life. Rule your own soul well. Make the right decisions. Husbands, you are told in 1 Peter chapter 3 to dwell with your wives with understanding and give honor to your wife. Understand that they are the weaker vessel, that God has made you to lead them and to love them, that you're heirs together of the grace of life so your prayers might not be hindered. And I've found over the years that wives don't want a dictator. So I'm not, in, I was going, okay, I will do exactly what you said and go home and I am the leader. Man, if you have to declare you're the leader, you ain't leading at all. He doesn't, wives don't want a dictator. They don't want a tyrant. They want a man that loves God and loves them. 
And God will lead you. He'll help you recover from even your past mistakes. He'll make you a new man. And Abram, we'll see that in Abram's life. But he sees his wife's upset, sees that she's very angry, knows that she's given bad counsel. And what does he do? Go ahead, do whatever you want. And she deals harshly with Hagar. And this is Abraham's son. This is, now she's pregnant with Abraham's son. And this is what they thought would fulfill the promise of God. How quickly things change when you're in the flesh. When you find out, ah, that wasn't God after all. Notice with me in verse seven. Now the angel of the Lord, you notice in your New King James, the angel is capitalized. This pre-appearance, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ found her. Found who? Hagar. So you might want to make sure you understand her as Hagar. She flees from their presence, and then the Lord went after her. And she found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by a spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted or for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. You know what Ishmael means? God hears. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab race. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. And every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So I want you to notice this. Sarai deals harshly, but God deals softly. Sarai deals harshly, but God deals softly. Sought her out. She was hurt, just entered into a wilderness time. Could very well have died in the wilderness, the conditions there. And he comes and says, why are you running? And remember, God is asking these questions not for knowledge, but to draw out from Sarah. So sometimes just saying things out loud from your own mouth gives you the reality of what you're really thinking, what you're really doing. Just being able to repeat it, let somebody else repeat it to you, hearing it. And, and when Hagar's running away, I understand why she ran away, but let me ask you a question. Have you noticed how easy it is for you to run away? The truth is, you aren't able to outrun your problems. There is, though, a lot of running from problems today. A lot of people dealing... Problems are, are, are common to us all. Difficulties, trials. And I'll tell you, man, there's a lot of running away when difficulties come. You know, people, you know, I, I hate my church. I'm going to go to another church. Yeah, now you're going to mess that one up too. I hate this state. I'm going to go to another state. Well, oh, so another state's going to solve all your problems? Uh, you know, I hate this marriage. I'm going to run to another marriage. You really think that's going to solve your problems? I don't, I hate this person. I'm going to run and get new friends. You really think you're going to the kind of, that kind of attitude that you're the type of friend people really need? that you ditch people in difficult times? 
I was sharing with someone recently, actually at Refresh, and one of the opportunities I had to talk with someone, they were sharing with me of a difficult time in their life, and they were lamenting. They were lamenting over the revelation of this difficult time. And one of the revelations they've learned of how many people bailed on them and abandoned them in this time of difficulty. It's a very, very serious time of difficulty, and, and the people that they thought would help them the people that they've done life with for many, many years, not just let them down, but abandoned them. And I, say, I, I affirm to them that that is one of the things that you learn during deep crisis. You learn a couple of things just in the relation to other people. Number one, in times of deep crisis, you learn who your friends are, who your real friends are, not your acquaintances, not your Facebook friends, you know, not people that follow you on, like your real friends, it really is revealed during times of crisis. And, and you also learn who your friends are not, which is very painful. I mean, you're already hurting. <laughs> and then on top of that, you find people are bailing on you, people you thought would help you, people that were with you in the good times but now aren't with you in the bad times, people that covenanted, yeah, thick and thin, rich or poor, and they just bail on you. And I shared them with something, I shared them I shared with them something that God has shared with me. It's easy to give. It's hard to live. And I shared this phrase. I said, I want you to remember this phrase every time someone you thought was your friend leaves you, bails on you, turns their back on you because of this crisis, doesn't help you. I said, I want you to remember this phrase. Whenever it happens, I want you to pray through this. And here's the phrase, and I quote, God is telling you that these people are not good for you, end quote. These people are not good for you, end quote. For the pathway you're on and the journey this pain has brought you on, these are not people that will help you on the journey. I know you thought they would help you, and I know you may have gone through things before, but this difficulty has revealed to you something you didn't know before. These people are not good for you. And perhaps the Holy Spirit will just release you right now. Those of you that this is very relatable to will just release you from thinking it's your fault. Thinking that it's all your fault. No, these people are not good for you. Just let them go. Let the Lord do what he's going to do. And you just stay on the path of restoration, reconciliation, repentance, pressing into the Lord. I know it's not fun being alone, and I know it's not fun having to deal with lost friendships. I get it. But no need to chase after them. These people are not good. God is saying to you, these people are not good for you. And I'm not saying they may never come back. I'm not saying, I don't know what the Lord wants to do. But I'm telling you right now, when you find out who your friends are not, no need to get bitter about it. No need to be unforgiving about it. No need to try to get any kind of revenge. Just remember this. These people are not good for you. And press into the Lord. Running away in difficult times is common. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. So running is a natural response. The real issue is where are you running? <laughs> are you running away 
Are you running to? Running is not necessarily a sin. It gets, you know, they even say in the physical realm, if you get some exercise when you're stressed out or depressed, a little bit of sweat, a little bit of exercise is good for you. So, you know, if you're going to run, get on a treadmill and then you'll never go anywhere. <laughs> you get all the energy and never make any, but, but in the spiritual realm, you're going to run. And the righteous run to the name of the Lord. And they're safe there. And there are times of running for all of us. Pain, problems, fear, anxiety, anger, frustrations. But the key is to run to the Lord. The key is to run to fellowship with other believers. The key is to run to prayer. Run to the word. Run to church. Run to the Lord. It's safe there. Amen? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Here's another one, Psalm 119 in verse 32. I will run in the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. I love that. So he's given instruction. The angel tells Hagar, go back and submit. And that's God's answer. Go back and deal with it. A lot of people run away from other churches and stuff and they run here. And if we hear about that and there's any unresolved stuff, we tell you, go back and deal with that. Is if you don't get it resolved, you're going to bring all kinds of trouble here. I'm not saying the Lord's not calling you here, but I am saying this. The Lord's not calling you here with all that baggage. Deal with it. So he tells Hagar, and, and to a very dangerous, scary thing, go back to Sarai and submit yourself. Well, she just kicked me out. But God's here telling, trust me, I hear you. I hear your affliction, it says. In Psalm 4, verse 1, it says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Talks about Ishmael being a strong man, a strong-willed kid, a wild man. And then verse 13, notice Hagar says, She called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her and said, that he is El Roy, you are the God who sees. For she said, I, here I've also seen him who sees me. Therefore the well is called Ber Lahai Roy, observe it, it's between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is indeed a low point for Abram, church. This mistake, this one mistake would take Abram out of fellowship for 13 years. We don't find Abram speaking with God in our study here for another 13 years. And sin is just never worth the temporary pleasure, ever. It's a huge sinful mistake no matter how it happened. The birth of Ishmael is something the Middle East and we deal with still to this very moment. The consequences of the sin is affecting us. The tension between the Arabs and the Israelis continues today. The tension between the Arab nations and the world continues to this day. In this episode from Abram's life. But, one final thing. No matter what, God's plan will be fulfilled. His will is still going to be done. It's strange, but his hand can't be forced, but his will cannot be thwarted. It's almost like Abram and Sarah are trying to force God's hand here. God's hand will not be forced, 
but also his will will not be thwarted. When you lose control and you're overwhelmed, come into the hands of the Lord. Run to him. Get back to church. I wonder how many people are listening to me that have not been in fellowship for weeks and months and even years. You need to come back to fellowship. You need to run back to the Lord. Choose the right way because you can go farther and do more for the kingdom of God through obedience than you could ever do in disobedience. And we'll read the rest of Abram's life in our study next time. Father, we pray for patience. A fruit of your spirit is patience, long-suffering, and we pray for that in our lives tonight. I pray for those that are unable to conceive tonight. I know some very personally. I pray you would encourage them. He would remove any kind of guilt or shame, any kind of condemnation. I pray, God, that you would open the womb. I think of Hannah in her desperation. I think of Sarai in her own form of desperation. I pray for their husbands. Such a heavy burden right now, Lord. I pray, God, for those that are on the other end of mistakes and sin and failure, dealing with the consequences, that they would not lose heart, that not all is lost. God is not done dealing with Abram. Even if there are 13 years of silence, he's not done. His, your, God, your will will not be thwarted. I pray, God, that your will would be fulfilled in our lives and we would walk in the simplicity of trusting you in all our pain, in all our grief, in all our sorrow, in all of our broken bodies, and broken brains, and broken bones. So much is broken, God, that healing and restoration only comes from you. And I wonder tonight if you're one of the broken. If you are one of the broken, I want you to stand up and come up to the stage here. I want to pray for you as a group. And I want you to be able to stand here and see, so you know you're not alone. And if you're one of the broken, I don't even have to describe your situation. It doesn't matter. And you just want prayer and you want to stand in a place where you know you're not alone, just come on up and stand right in here and we'll make a little group right here. Men and women, boys and girls. And you just kind of look and you're just broken and you're hurt and you're beaten up. Come on up and let's create a little group here. And just come and let the Spirit of God minister to you. The pastors are going to come up from behind and pray for you. Just come. Just let it be a step of faith. Let it be a, a, an opportunity. Just come and acknowledge the hurt and the pain, the sorrow and the sadness, the deep anger and frustrations. They're just so broken. And just acknowledge to God that He's the repairer of the breach. He's the one that heals He's the one that strengthens. You guys downstairs, if you want to come up, well, come on up. You guys that are listening on the radio, I know you can't be here, but uh, we know you're there. I'm going to pray for you by distance. We know you're there. Just keep coming. You know, I know it's like, it's kind of embarrassing, but you know what? Embarrassment's going to keep you away from the Lord. Don't worry about what people think. We all love you. Don't worry about us. We love you. We care for you. We want to see you healed and restored. We don't judge you. We don't look down upon you. You are greatly loved by God. Come on in. Let's break a, come on in. Come on over here. 
And then uh, Enrique and Byron to get behind you, Pastor Avant. Come on up, Kurt. You can pray. Anyone else? I don't want you missed. And, and the reason I, I mean, I could have had you stand in your seat, and that's fine. But I really felt like you needed to stand so you know you're not alone. Like something tangible. Like, like the altar that Abram built in Bethel was tangible. So maybe tonight you just got a, something that's physical where you can feel people standing next to you. And it's not me, but all the brokenness. We're all broken, but this is a special season of brokenness. Come on up, Randy. Come on in, guys. Anyone else before I pray? Just come on. Just take care of business. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. And this is no show. This is no, you know, manipulation. It's just the Spirit of God ministering to you. Maybe you're like Abram. You just got this big failure that's chased you for 23 years. All right. The Lord loves you, cares for you. You guys come up from upstairs. Come on up. We'll wait for you. Yes, there's an outpouring of God right now. He loves you guys. And I'm just going to stand back so I'm not the focus here. I'm going to pray for you on my knees because I want to humble myself before God. Lord, I just pray right now by the authority and the power and the blood of Jesus Christ upon the broken and the hurting, those carrying the weight of guilt and shame, fearful and anxious, dealing with the consequences of life and the pain of losing friends and infertility and custody battles and having to face the judge. I pray for that brother that went to jail for 45 days. He was just here on Sunday, but now he's in jail. I pray for him. I pray for the mentally broken and the mentally ill, those that are down and out to their last dollar, those that might be homeless. I pray, God, that you would pray. I I ask for your healing of the broken marriages for men that want to stand up but just haven't been able to or have been fearful. I pray for wives that feel so alone and isolated, husbands as well. I pray for the singles that think that you've forgotten them and there's never going to be a spouse for them. I pray for all the drugs that are in the homes, all the alcohol. I, I pray, God, for a release and a breaking of the shackles and the chains that have been holding my brothers and sisters in bondage or break bondages tonight. Bring healing and freedom. Increase faith, God, that we might trust you with our lives and let everyone here know and be, have it be declared over them that the banner over me is love and that their love might be felt of God today. Your love would be felt. Bless them, Lord, for their act of contrition and humility, and even some feeling embarrassed, Lord. Let them just take that feeling away. Nothing to be embarrassed about, about being human, following you with our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app.
Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.